Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for joining us today. My name is Brandon Arnold with the Cato Institute. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, health care. Hopefully this will be a uh, nonviolent uh, session here. Uh, <laughs> nobody's uh, packing any firearms or anything, are they? So, um, before, uh, before we get started, let me uh, just point out uh, a new paper. just came out today, actually, Halfway to Where, uh, which is written by our speaker today, Michael Tanner. Hopefully everyone picked one up on the way in. If you didn't, there should be some available on the uh, registration table there. And this paper uh, kind of breaks down the different proposals that are floating around uh, Capitol Hill right now. I uh, highly encourage you to grab a copy if you can. Um, also wanted to point out um, that tonight uh, our healthcare scholars, uh, Mike Tanner and Michael Cannon, will be live blogging um, as Obama delivers his health care address to Congress. And uh, uh, if you can check that out on our blog, which is Cato at Liberty.org, uh, it's pretty easy to access also through our main website, Cato.org. So be sure to check that out this evening. Um, our speaker today is, is Michael Tanner. He's a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He's an expert on a variety of domestic issues, including health care reform, of course, uh, as well as uh, social welfare policy and social security. He's written a number of books. His uh, most recent is Leviathan on the Right, How Big Government Conservatism Brought Down the Republican Revolution. That came out just a couple years ago. Uh, he's also the co-author of Healthy Competition, uh, What's Holding Back Health Care and How to Free It. This is a, a really good book. Uh, Excellent resource on, on health care, especially if you're, if you're just kind of getting acclimated to the, the basic principles of uh, market-based health care reform. Um, we do provide our books and all our publications free of charge to Capitol Hill staff. So if you want a copy of that, you can just let me know or, or my colleague, Kurt Couchman, over there, and we'd be happy to get you a copy. Well, with that, I'll go ahead and turn things over to Mike Tanner. Well, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate it. appreciate you guys uh, coming out for free food. Uh, my name is Michael Tanner. I'm a senior fellow at Cato. I've been working on health care for a number of years. Uh, and uh, suddenly we seem to have an issue that's hot these days. So uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about a lot of things. One of the things I do want to talk about today, though, is, in particular, is co-ops. Uh, it's been all the rage lately. Uh, hard to pick up a paper these days without someone talking about health care co-ops, cooperatives, uh, otherwise known as I'm really not a public op option, really, honestly, truly. Uh, bigger question, though, is if it's healthcare, if a co-op, healthcare co-op is not a public option, what is it? Uh, and that seems to be a much tougher question to, to answer. And once we, can, if we can try to come close to answering what a co-op in healthcare actually is then what does it mean as far as the overall health care reform? So I'm going to try and take a few minutes to try and walk through some of those questions and, uh, and then see where we end up with as far as some of the bills that are up on Capitol Hill right now go, and then uh, open it up to your questions on any of this. Uh, the first big question, of course, is what is a co-op? Uh, interesting to find out that there actually isn't any universally accepted definition of a co-op generally. Uh, however, there is a national association of co-ops, uh, and I believe they even have a lobbyist here, this being Washington and all. Uh, but uh, co-op, uh, generally, according to the association, I think this is a pretty good way to define it, a co-op is owned and democratically controlled by members, that is, the people who use the co-op services or buy its goods, not by outside investors. Co-op members elect their board of directors from within the membership. This is the extremely important principle. Co-ops 
essentially govern themselves. That is, the members, the people who use the co-op services uh, themselves govern the co-op. They elect its officers. They determine its business plan. They determine how the co-op's going to run. It is not imposed from outside, either by investors or by anyone else. Uh, they return surplus revenues, uh, that's income over expenses and investment, to members proportionate to their use of the cooperative, not proportionate to their investment or ownership shares. That is, uh, the return on investment is basically based not a return on how much you put into the system, but how you use it. So it's through lower prices, lower premiums, uh, whatever that is. It's not a return based on how much capital you put up front uh, that determines your return uh, in the co-op. They are non-profit. They are not for profit. They are not for profit as far as tax status goes, and they do not, uh, theoretically at least, earn profits uh, at all. And they pay in taxes only on income kept within the co-op for investment and reserves. Uh, surplus revenues from the co-op are returned to individual members uh, who pay taxes. So they basically, if they do earn a, a profit, it goes back to all the members of the co-op who then pay individual income taxes on, on that, uh, that return. Uh, most of them don't uh, earn a, a, enough of a surplus to make much of a difference in that. There's a variety of types of co-ops as well. Uh, the one that we're talking about mostly with terms of healthcare co-ops is a consumer cooperative uh, in which it's owned by the people who buy the goods or use the services. That is, in the case of a healthcare co-op, it would be the people who have the insurance policies. The policyholders uh, within the health insurance co-op would be the owners of it. Uh, there's also producer cooperatives. They, uh, they are uh, owned by people who produce goods. There's worker cooperatives who uh, are the manufacturers, let's say, in a, in a plant or whatever, uh, who own the plant. And there's purchasing shared service cooperatives in which different groups get together to share uh, their services back and forth uh, amongst themselves. But probably, primarily, uh, the consumer cooperatives that were uh, and purchasing cooperatives that come into play with health care. Uh, cooperatives generally, uh, there's a set of principles that the Association for Cooperatives uh, actually puts out, and most of what I found most cooperatives do operate by these, that is they have a voluntary and open membership. Uh, anybody can join a, a cooperative, uh, and uh, of course it's voluntary to join. Democratic member control, back to this again, uh, the idea that members of the cooperative govern the cooperative. They determine how it's going to be run. Uh, member economic participation, uh, it's autonomous and independent. Uh, they provide education, training, information. Uh, they're supposed to cooperate with other cooperatives. Uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, we'll see, depends on how well that's always done. And of course, then there's kind of concern for the community. Cooperatives are sort of uh, supposed to uh, be part of their local community uh, and participate in it. Uh, they're hardly new. I mean, the idea that we're going to, you know, cooperatives is some new entity. The first cooperative, actually, interestingly, in the United States that I've been able to determine, actually, is the Philadelphia Fire Insurance, started by uh, Ben Franklin, uh, I believe, in the 1780s. Uh, ben, he put together a fire insurance plan uh, that was member owned. Uh, Incidentally, the interesting thing on that, it was actually experience rate, or it was actually underwritten in the sense that people who lived in brick houses paid less than people who lived in wooden houses. Uh, so actually, actually had sort of the, an underwriting experience there. Uh, but that was probably the first. Today, there's 29,000 cooperatives in the United States. 29,000. 
Uh, and the top 100 of them generate more than $150 billion in revenue. So, uh, so this is not something that's unusual out there. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, I, I live in Tacoma Park. I shop almost every week at the health food co-op up the street from me uh, you know, and buy my, buy my food there. So uh, cooperatives are hardly anything unusual. Uh, in terms of health insurance co-ops, uh, that's a little bit different. There's, there's actually, we've heard a lot of talk about health insurance co-ops and the experience of various health insurance co-ops out there. There's actually right now there are only five true cooperative insurance companies in existence. Uh, that's down. Uh, uh, 30 years ago, there was 15 cooperative health insurance companies. Today, there are only five. Uh, and I'll go into a reason for that in a minute. Uh, however, uh, there are more than 1,000 mutual insurance companies, and about half of them uh, underwrite health care. So you have about 500 mutual health insurance companies. Uh, these operate, by and large, there's a slight legal difference, which I will go into, but by and large, these mutual health insurance companies operate uh, much like co-ops, and they operate according to cooperative principles in that they're nonprofit, and that they, the policyholders have governance and, and so on. Uh, the biggest health insurance co-ops, uh, the ones you hear most about in the news, one is Health Partners in Minneapolis uh, that uh, insures about 660,000 people. It's an HMO. And the other is the Group Health Cooperative in Seattle, which has gotten a lot of attention in the news. It's been the New York Times, been a lot of places in the news. Uh, it's based in Seattle. Uh, about 10% of Washingtonians, about 10% of the people in Washington State currently get their health insurance uh, through, the, uh, through the Group Health Cooperative in Seattle. Now, just want to mention one thing. Neither of these is legally a cooperative. They are actually both mutual insurance companies uh, uh, legally, not, uh, not health insurance cooperatives. But they operate as a cooperative under but they're incorporated under mutual insurance laws. Uh, there's very little difference. Uh, we can get to some of the technicalities of it. It has a little bit to do with corporate governance uh, in terms of the legal difference between them. But essentially, they are mutual insurance companies that uh, operate as and refer to themselves as co-ops. Uh, the reason for this, the reason why these companies are, are basically mutual insurance companies is there's only one state that actually has laws about, uh, that allows uh, you to incorporate as a health insurance cooperative under their state law, and that's the state of Wisconsin. Uh, under uh, Chapter 185 in Wisconsin, you can incorporate as a health insurance cooperative. Uh, no other state actually has provisions that allow incorporation specifically as a health insurance cooperative. Uh, you can, if you wish, file under Wisconsin's uh, Chapter 185 laws. You can live, be in a cooperative in another state, and you can file your incorporation papers in Wisconsin under their uh, Chapter 185 laws. It's much like uh, Delaware's uh, S-Corporation laws. You could file, be in a corporation in another state and file in Delaware. You could be a cooperative in another state and file in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, the only, there's one, the only co-op I know have done that, there's one in Minnesota that has done that. The other four health cooperatives, official health cooperatives are all in Wisconsin. Uh, but you still, if you did that, you would still have to follow your own state's insurance regulations. So if, the, uh, if you were in 
Idaho and you filed in Wisconsin, you'd have to file Idaho insurance law, uh, but you'd be incorporated as a Wisconsin corporation if you did that. Uh, what are the uh, advantages of a, and disadvantages of a cooperative? Well, we don't really know since there's a, there are so many different models to choose from. If you want to look at bringing all the mutual insurance companies, or if you want to, too small a sample, if you want to look at just true health cooperatives that are out there. But generally, uh, you could say the satisfaction levels seem relatively high in the, in the cooperatives. Uh, that they seem somewhat higher. There's been some surveys that suggest that the satisfaction levels in the cooperatives among the members are higher than in traditional insurance. Uh, on the other hand, we don't see any evidence of cost savings uh, with these. Now, there's some, uh, some of the, the co-ops, Seattle actually ha has done a pretty good job of holding down costs. They've done some innovative things in terms of arranging integrated care and some of these, uh, but it's more a question of the innovative arrangements they've done for delivery systems than simply having lower premiums and lower costs. Uh, one of the things that's often talked about when you talk about these health insurance cooperatives is the idea that, well, there'd be nonprofit. And if we could just take the profit out of health insurance by having these nonprofits out there, uh, that will somehow allow them to be much cheaper and will reduce the cost uh, of health care. In fact, we hear this about the public option. Well, it's a nonprofit. That, that'll drive health insurance profits out of the system, force, people, uh, force insurance companies to, to compete on a different level for cost. The reality is, however, is that the profit market, first of all, is that you have, as I mentioned, hundreds of nonprofit health insurers out there. Not only are the mutual insurance companies nonprofit, but a large proportion of the blues are nonprofit as well. So simply being a nonprofit doesn't tell you anything about how uh, competitive they are in terms of premiums or costs. Uh, but the profit margin generally within the health insurance industry is fairly low. Uh, you have, a, uh, for traditional insurers, it's a 5.5% profit margin, and for HMOs, it's only a 3.8% profit margin. These are uh, much lower than many other industries. Uh, you could take uh, these, the profit completely out uh, of these, this and you would not make a substantial dent in terms of overall health care costs. So I, I think uh, if you look at it that way, you could, you, know, you could see that just going to a co-op because it's a, somehow a nonprofit, uh, you're not going to necessarily drive down health care costs. Uh, you also, there's talk that because it's a nonprofit, it won't be taxed and therefore you can return some of those tax savings to the individuals. That's certainly theoretically possible, but again, we're not seeing this in terms of differentiation in premiums for other nonprofit insurers that, uh, that also are tax exempt. Uh, now, the Senate Finance Committee, as we know, is looking at health care co-ops as an alternative to the public option. In their design of what these co-ops look like, there's a number of questions that we should be asking. Uh, the first of these is going back to the whole, uh, you know, this is the question of is this going to be an actual co-op or is this simply going to be the public option or we're going to call it a co-op? And how they answer these questions is going to decide a lot of that. First of these, is it going to be member governed or is it going to be government controlled? Remember one of the key ideas behind and the key points of co-ops is that they are member governed. The membership, the people who use its services, they elect the officers, they elect the board of directors, they determine the operating plan of how this is going to be run. 
Now, one important thing to remember here is that when a co-op starts up, if the government says tomorrow we're going to start a co-op, it's going to have no members. So who is going to appoint the board? Who is going to draft its business plan? Who's going to, be, who's going to be, uh, select the officers for it? Is that going to be done by Congress and the president? Are they going to, say, they, are they going to from outside, impose the governance of this co-op? And some of the early versions, and, and as far as I know, it's, uh, the later versions of the, what's coming out of the Senate don't do this, but some of the earlier versions that I saw coming out of the Senate suggested that that's exactly what would happen, that the secretary of HHS would develop the business plan for the co-ops, and that the president and Congress would appoint the board and officers of the co-ops. And then the talk is, well, after five years or ten years, it would be turned over to the membership. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how quickly Congress relinquishes uh, control. But initially, at least, it would not be member, operated, or directed. Uh, now, the later versions of this look much more like the idea that the cooperative is going to come together and form itself, elect its office, put out its business plan, and then appeal to Washington for money, uh, in which case it would be generally uh, operated by the membership. Uh, size? Big question in terms of size. Are these going to be state co-ops? Are they going to be regional co-ops? Is it going to be one giant national cooperative? Is it going to be a bunch of co-ops within a state? Um, the, the, of course, the, the twin parts of that is if it's too small, it won't have very much purchasing power, so it won't, have much, it won't offer much in terms of competition. It won't do much in terms of cost control, which is one of the things it's supposed to do. On the other hand, if it's too big, it could become sort of a monopsony purchaser and have all sorts of, imp uh, of the same problems in terms of pushing down provider uh, reimbursements and shifting costs uh, that could ultimately, that ultimately go with, this, with the public option. So you have to look at the balance between the two of those. My understanding right now is that uh, it's the Senate Finance Committee is looking at state or multiple state possibilities for this rather than, uh, although regional are, are allowed, uh, but it's not going to be a single national cooperative. Uh, subsidies. How much of this is going to be subsidized by the federal government? Is it going to just be a startup grant? Or, you know, we're just going to sort of, you form your cooperative. You know, it's sort of like one of those things where you, in the old movies where they got together and said, let's put on a play. You know, and this one's going to be, let's put on a cooperative. Uh, so you get together, you form your state cooperative, and then you ask the federal government to give you money to do it. Uh, that appears to be the direction where the Senate Finance Committee is going now. But then you're on your own. Uh, that, that makes sense. Or is it going to be something that's going to be permanently subsidized in some way by the federal government, where it's going to be partially supported uh, by taxpayers, in which case it, it's going to certainly lack independence and it's, going to have, uh, it's not going to be competing on a level playing field. Will it have an exemption from state mandates? Some of the proposals that are being talked about suggest that the health care cooperative would operate essentially like a large employer under ERISA and would be exempt from state-mandated benefits, uh, unlike other individual or small group policies. Uh, so we don't know what they're going to do in terms of that. And finally, would it be allowed to fail? Uh, going back sort of to the subsidy question, if you set up a co-op in your state and it went out of business, would the government allow that? Uh, co-ops do fail. Uh, one of the most famous cases fairly recently is the Florida Community Health Purchasing Alliance, 
which was a health insurance co-op in southern Florida, went out of business, I believe, in 2001, left about 100,000 people uh, holding the bag who had, uh, had policies through it. Uh, it failed. Uh, so uh, the question is going to be, uh, will the federal government allow these to fail? If it does, you know, then if it does not, then they're certainly not playing on a level playing field. Uh, in, in and those implicit guarantees or those government guarantees that they'll back up uh, these things that are part of the whole problem, again, with the public option, whether or not there's going to be on a level playing field in any sort of, of, uh, of uh, competition on that. Uh, it may well be that you could achieve the same goals of the cooperative uh, in other ways. And two of these, just to be mentioned, that the idea behind the cooperative is simply to create more competition in the insurance industry, then there are certainly better ways. And we do have some 13, there's about 1,300 health insurers today. But there's no doubt that in individual states, uh, the insurance market has nowhere near that amount of competition. Uh, states, Alabama, for example, I believe one insurance company, the Blue Cross of Alabama, has about 84% of the market share down there. Uh, there's, other, most other, there's a number of other states where one or two companies have 50 and 60% of the market share. That's not a lot of competition. So the President's right about this. The question is going to be, if you want to create more competition, is a cooperative going to do that? Is simply taking another small insurance company and plopping it down in Alabama going to do, from scratch, essentially, it's going to start up, it's going to have to go out and build a doctor's network, it's going to have to advertise. It's going to have to recruit people in to buy its policies. It's going to have to do everything that a, any other insurance company starting up in Alabama would do. Is it really going to knock down that 80-some-odd percent share that the Blues have in Alabama? I mean, are we really going to create a lot of competition with that? Uh, for that matter, you know, if we have 1,350 ins you know, insurance companies, because I've got 50 co-ops, have we really done a great deal in terms of competition? And the public option, if we have 1,301, assuming it all operates on the level playing field and is competing fairly, then you go from 1,300 to 1,301. Have you done anything with a public option, really, in terms of creating competition? A much better way to create competition would simply be allow people to buy health insurance out of state. Uh, right now, if you live in Alabama, I say you're stuck with the Alabama Blues or whoever is available, you can't buy health insurance in Mississippi or Tennessee or Georgia or Florida. Or you can't go online, you know, go to e-surance, computer savvy, you go on e-surance, look through all the insurance policies in the country, pick the one out that's best for you and buy it. You can't do that. That's illegal right now. I would think that that would be much better at creating competition and opening it up than, than creating a healthcare co-op and plopping it down in Birmingham or something. Um, we'll see. Uh, the other th option is, is in terms of purchasing, that's sort of on the consumer cooperative side. On the purchasing cooperative side, uh, there's been a little suggestions for years about the idea of creating associated association health plans, which is to allow businesses to band together in the, in the, uh, with the idea of being able to purchase health insurance in a larger pool. Now, there's proposals to do it on the federal level, which I, don't, I think could create problems, but certainly on the state level, there, uh, they could, that could be done as an alternative to creating more purchasing power for different uh, for groups that have trouble uh, right now. But they would be the, uh, essentially, the, uh, an association health plan is the, is the equivalent of a purchasing cooperative uh, and certainly could be designed that way. Anyway, let me, let me leave it there. I, and I probably have not cleared up a great deal. 
uh, in large part because there aren't any definitive answers when it comes to this. There's only a lot of questions when it comes to co-ops, and we won't know exactly what they're talking about until we see the, uh, the final legislation, uh, which I understand uh, over in, uh, they're going to have a white smoke that comes out of Senator Baucus's uh, <laughs> chimney uh, sometime later this afternoon. Uh, so with that, I'll open it up and take any questions that you, that you might have. Right. Right. I think this is not a competition. Yeah. This is what's a reverse competition. You're you're you going down the down the health care. You put down the health of this country down the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's exactly exactly right. I I think you go back to this question. I say. Are we talking in subsidies simply giving some startup capital, or are we talking about ongoing subsidies so that, you know, look, it doesn't matter how much money we lose uh, in premiums, we can, you know, we can charge everybody 10 bucks because if it's, uh, it's uh, money. That's the question. We don't know until we see what, you know, no, what the guarantees is, are. Right. And what Obama said was put everything there. It's uh, prevent medicine here. We even don't have a preventive medicine infrastructure. Where's the medical doctor? Is coming from? Yeah. This country, basic problem of this country is this. You see, medicine, we have a clinical medicine and, and uh, prevent medicine and research. Right, and right. Because clinical medicine makes lots of money, so everybody goes there. Well, we, we, we certainly have a physician shortage. No, and the problem I see is that you put sure. more things in right. and you know down the All right. I gotta, I've got I've to move on and take some other, other questions. There's one here and then yours. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't regulate, but it would negotiate physician fees the way other insurers do. There'd be some discount, uh, certainly some discount. Insurers have a variety. Some get bigger discounts than others. To a large extent, it would depend on its purchasing power, how big it was. If you were a cooperative and you had 100,000 members in New York State or California, you're probably not going to get a very big discount from, from doctors. On the other hand, if you had uh, uh, 500,000 members and you're in Montana, you probably can dictate pretty much whatever uh, reimbursement rates you want. So it, it's going to depend on their size 
and, and their purchasing power, what, what, the, what they can do. One of the concerns over the public, the pu public option or a national co-op, but Chuck Schumer, I should say, has called for a single national co-op, is that it would have, be such a monopsony when it came to purchasing that it would be able to impose lower reimbursement rates across the board that would shift costs to people with private insurance plans outside of it and create, again, an unlevel playing field as far as competition goes. Uh, but a lot depends, again, a lot depends on the, on the design and structure. Yeah. Quick question. Uh, who would determine the premiums and how would they be determined? Under, if it was a true co-op, it would be determined by the members, membership would elect a board which would determine a business plan which would determine what, or officers who would set the premiums uh, the way, uh, way other insurers do, and it would be based on an actuarial model. Now, if this was imposed down from above and the Secretary of HHS was approving the business plan, she could theoretically impose any uh, level of premiums that she wanted, which, uh, again, turns it back into this public option by a different name. So, 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 so if it were a true cooperative, they'd have to wait until they had actual members before they could determine the premiums and set the premiums. Sure. I mean, they probably would come up with some actuarial thing for the first year based on the, on the general population, but they would have to be adjusted later on based on, based on their membership. And it, I mean, that's the, way, that's the way the ones that in existence now operate. Yeah? It seems to me, I'm a free market stuff. I love competition between uh, insurance companies. But my question is, it seems that the problem is not a lack of, of, of competition between insurance, generally speaking, at least nationally, um, but a lack of competition between doctors, hospitals, people saying, I can get you through quicker, I can do it cheaper, I can waste less. Does this address that issue at all? I mean, a, a lot of people are saying the problem with healthcare insurance yeah. Uh, not specifically. Uh, what I mean, part of the idea, and as I understand so what they're talking about in finance, is one of the criteria for whether your cooperative got a grant to start off would be whether you had some innovative innovations in terms of delivery models that might address that. So they try to sort of pick uh, co-ops that, that had interesting ideas, uh, that, that sort of thing. But beyond, beyond that, you're right. I mean, it, it is largely a delivery service question. And, but the, that does go back to the lack of competition between insurers and, and to the fact that everybody has sort of adopted the same model I mean, in, in terms of how they're, how they're paying out, uh, which, is, which is part of it. And the biggest non-competition there is Medicare. Uh, you know, Medicare is one of the worst offenders. It has one of the oldest fee-for-service model pro provider reimbursement models that is out there, and it's uh, almost strictly anti-innovation uh, in the terms of the way that it's, it's delivery. Uh, we keep talking about Medicare, you know, expand Medicare for all. Medicare is probably the, the, the emblematics of what's the worst things about the American health care system. Yeah? Well, the co-op model would be available on, you, uh, on that, and it would certainly alleviate probably some of the startup advertising costs and, and, and things like that because it would, it would make it available to the public. You'd, I mean, the exchange is, is essentially designed as a shopping mall, if you will, uh, so that you can see all the options and compare apples to apples. Uh, so in that sense, it, it's something that makes it much more public and probably relieves it of some of the initial startup costs. Uh, that would be the same of any insurer, not, not necessarily of, a, of, a, of the co-op or what have you. Mm -hmm. so some of that's driven 
by right. the state. Um, I was wondering if the co-ops pay state premium taxes. Um, that's a good question. The, the, um, I, I, I can't tell you. Uh, they, they are exempt from federal taxation because they're a nonprofit. I don't know how they're handled in terms of the states, and I'd have to look at individual states, how the, what the individual states do on that. I just, I just have not looked into that. Yeah. I have a question. You know, regarding the question of whether forming regionally or nationally, what mm -hmm. about if it was through a professional trade association, you know, whether it's attorneys or whatever it is, a trade or civic association, they form their own more or less cooperative and draw your membership pool from yeah. that. Yeah, that, I mean that would be, that would be a slightly different change. Right now, uh, non-traditional groups are not allowed to provide insurance. Essentially, you have to be a union, a business, or a trade association to do so. You can't get together with your church and become a pool for the purpose of insurance. You could change that and allow, as part of this, and allow them to to start up cooperatives or, or something like that, incorporate under that. So that would be a method to do that. Yeah. So a co-op is a credit union is a co-op. Yes, actually, it is. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Okay, and then my second question was, if, as far as the not being able to purchase across state lines is concerned, yep. if your employer, like for example, at one point, living here in D.C., I was covered by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. Yeah. So because my employer was based, they were that's right. to purchase the plan in Illinois and cover me when I'm here. Yeah, that, that, that's right. It's, it's, it's the small group and individual markets that can't, can't purchase. We don't, we don't know. Uh, if it is for, that's why the question was whether it would be exempt from state mandates or state insurance law. Would it be considered essentially under ERISA a self-insurance mechanism? So would it be, uh, you know, would it have to fall under, uh, under state law? Yeah, that, that, that's right. That, that's a purchasing cooperative, right. yeah. Dramatic uh, change, as a matter of fact. Yeah, well, I mean that wasn't the topic today, but but essentially, I mean, I would argue that we need to have uh, much more competition uh, and much more free exchange in uh, in the system. I think we should be moving away from an employer-based system to one that, in which insurance is individual, personal, and portable, so that not only does your boss not get to pick your insurance anymore, but that if you lose your job, you don't lose your insurance. <laughs> I think we ought to have, as I say, interstate competition among insurers so that you, know, you don't have uh, one large company dominating a market and that people can, uh, aren't subject to the whims of the regulators in their own or the special interests in their state in terms of driving up costs. I think we ought to have more competition among providers. I think nurse practitioners and physicians assistants and so on should have much greater scope of practice. Uh, so I think, I think we ought to have a, a very significant change in the current system, which I think is unsustainable. And, and in many in many ways immoral, uh, but I think that the answer is not to go to a government-run system. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about the process that in real co-ops throughout the country that the members or that the board is elected, and demographically speaking, what types of people we could expect if we were to follow a true co-op model? What types of people <coughs> would be elected to run the state? 
Yeah, I mean, that, actually, that would be an interesting, that's an interesting question. It, just to give you an example, as I say, I'm a member of my health food co-op in Tacoma Park. I get a ballot every year. Uh, anybody basically can nominate themselves for the board. Every year I get a ballot with a little bio about them, and uh, I can go in. There's like a month-long voting period. You know, I check off who I want to be on the board of directors, and I drop it in a box as I, as I go shopping. And that ultimately elects the board of directors that, that runs it. Uh, and it, you know, it, it's Tacoma Park, so it, it's, it's a remarkably diverse board, uh, to, to put it mildly. Uh, I mean, so I would, I would expect that it would reflect the, uh, the overall demographics of, of the membership in the community in which, uh, in which it lives, uh, in which the people live. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the co-op would essentially be an insurer, so you'd, you'd essentially be put, picking gap policies or, or around these things. Uh, I think it would largely depend on the co-op's market share. If a co-op became very large, dominated, had sort of a bare-bones policy, people would want to make niche markets around it. I think if it was pretty much, you, know, you couldn't tell the difference between the, the blue insurance and the co-op insurance, nah, it probably wouldn't be anything that developed out there. Yes. Well, you, you do need to create more more competition. You're ab absolutely right. Say, no, there's no competition. Yes. Well, they, they. I mean, they are. They are. They are insurance. Co the co-op is in essence an insurance company. It is like a mutual. Mutual of Omaha might be on your exchange. And then so would the Omaha Healthcare Co-op. So if you're living in Nebraska, you could choose either of those two to insure you or Blue Cross of Nebraska. I mean, they'd all be in the exchange. So you'd be picking from which of those. And each of those could offer multiple plans. Uh, so to make it even more, more confusing within that. It, it is, in essence, a company. Uh, it is a nonprofit corporation that operates under certain democratic principles, but it is, it's, an, it's a company on that. Yeah? Uh, I think you are addressing this question, but I think it's not hearing it because the co-op, as it's been structured, <coughs> do a lot of different things in terms of issuing its own product. It can do a fee-for-service product. Sure. Right. So we need to see what actually will occur as a result of that. Also, we need to see what is going to be the dichotomy between state and federal regulation yes. of the um, co-op. Right. Because we don't know now just how far into the state part of it that the feds will go into it. So, you know, like you
they're going to be allowed to fail? What, what are the reserve requirements right. going to be for? How will they underwrite? What will be the annual requirements? And will this go to the state or to the feds? So a lot of this will occur as a result of... Yeah, we, until we see the legislation. I mean, I, that's why I said I wish I could clear up a lot more, but without the legislation... You know, the, the, the important, I mean, one of the things I just wanted to bring home to people was that this is not some great new idea that they've come up with. This, this is co-ops are out there. Tomorrow morning, we could all, you know, we could all get together here, form a co-op, the, the Rayburn, whatever room it is, co- health insurance co-op, and go to Wisconsin, incorporate in Wisconsin under Wisconsin law, and become a health insurance co-op. You know, all, the, all this basically looks like they can do is that now we can apply to the federal government and get some money uh, money for it. Now, if that's all it is, then it's probably going to have minimal impact on health care, but it's probably not terribly offensive to, 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 to market reform either. On the other hand, if you go to things like Chuck Schumer has said, government appoints the board, it's a single national co-op, Secretary of HHS approves the business plan, that's thing, then, it's, then it's back to the public option and we're calling it a co-op. So, a lot depends on what they actually do when they come out with this. I got time for, I think, a couple more questions. I'll do one, two, three, four, five. That'll be it. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry come across the room. This is, but if you have a co op and it does go forward, do you have to have the individual mandate that goes along with it? I mean, I guess I'm just missing how. It's an insurance company. It, you could pick, it would satisfy, it would have to meet the requirements of the minimum benefits package that the government sets, and you could buy it to satisfy the mandate. Sure. No, no, no. You wouldn't have to join the co-op. What you'd have to do under the individual mandate, you have to have insurance. And you have to have insurance that meets certain minimum standards. You know, people think the mandate only applies to you if you don't have insurance. If you have insurance that doesn't meet the government's design benefits package, you have to switch. But if the the co-op offers a policy that meets the standard and some other company offers a policy that meets the standard, you're required to buy a policy. It doesn't matter where you buy it. Do you have any comments about the existing government programs? Because they do vary quite a bit. For instance, Medicare is basically an insurance <coughs> policy, but the Armed Forces and Veterans actually have their own providers, and maybe there are other examples, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, I mean, Medicare is, a, is essentially the 1964 Blue Cross plan. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a fee-for-service hospital reimbursement plan that they then tacked on uh, provider pl- uh, individual doctors onto. But it's, but it's essentially an old-fashioned uh, Blue Cross plan out of the 1960s, and it hasn't changed. Uh, you know, government moves very swiftly, and, uh, and therefore it hasn't changed at all since 1964 uh, in terms of its overall structure. Uh, some of the others are more integrated. Uh, you know, the VA has got a lot of faults, but it also operates much more like an HMO in terms of integrated, coordinated care from top to bottom and things like that. So the, the, the programs do, do differ some, somewhat uh, in that regard. Yeah. I've lost track of where I was going. Uh, it would be part of the bylaws of the uh, of the co-op itself. Who who's allowed to be a member? Uh, in uh, some have more restrict 
are restricted geographically, some are association specific, but you basically would be written to the bylaws of themselves. I'm not aware of any. I, I mean, I, I'm certain you couldn't, I'm certain there are discriminations that you could not make. There are prohibitions in, in terms of, of opening that you, or that you could not do to limit. But I'm not sure how far they would go. I mean, uh, you, you can do certain things. Most of them are fairly open. Most of the, most co-ops, as far as I know, uh, except pretty much anybody who wants to, wants to join. Uh, I mean, they, they benefit from the larger pool uh, in the long run, yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, I can't uh, alleviate that fear. I mean, it, it certainly is conceivable. On the other hand, you are, you know, starting with 1,300 insurance companies in the national marketplace, many of which are entrenched in individual areas. So there, the ability of one company to move into another company's area uh, at large, I think, is, is somewhat limited. Uh, I, also, I also think... The additional advantage to cross-state purchasing is, you, is beyond simply the creating more competition in insurance companies, but you're also creating uh, competition in regulatory environments uh, in the sense that uh, some states have regulations like New Jersey, New York, for example, that significantly add to the cost of insurance, uh, the number of mandated benefits, the community rating, and so on in those states significantly increases the cost over other states. Uh, if you could sort of work your way around those state regulations, you force competition among regulatory regimes, much the way tax competition exists between states. Yeah. Two-part question. Uh, as we've gone through this legislative process so far, <coughs> what is your impression of the ratio of MBAs, MDs, and policy wonks that have been involved in the process? What Far too many. Yeah. <laughs> what, what ought it be in order for... And lawyers, even worse. Second, uh, to, the, to the gentleman's point uh, prior, my posit is that in order to make uh, positive health care reform and change, that we can start small by changing TRICARE, changing the VA, and using that as the incubator for, for the change and then growing it larger. Would you agree with that posit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if we wanted to make health care reform, starting with the government programs would be a good place to start. I mean, you know, I think I have to say, I, I listened to President Obama come out. And he talks about all these terrible things in the American health care system. And I, and I agree with him. And then I say, but that's Medicare. You know, all the things, you know, so let's start there. If, if we have all the, you know, the cost curves bending in the wrong direction and we're reimbursing doctors for the wrong things and we have huge disparities in how much we're paying out versus how, the quality we're receiving, that's all Medicare. Why don't we tr see what we can do to fix it there? And then maybe we'll move on, you know, to, to trying to fix it someplace else. So I think, I think that's... Uh, that's a great idea. Uh, last question. Yes. E easy, easy question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think that I, I think there should be less regulation. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, certainly you need to, you know, to, to set certain parameters and rules. But I think most of the, what we see in terms of healthcare regulation adds cost and benefits primarily special interest groups. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the doctors, the insurers, the drug companies, they love regulation. You know, for all that, you know, all that, you know people talk about free markets and big business. No, 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 no. Big business hates free markets. 
Big markets, big business loves monopolies and cartels. Uh, and I think that, you know, if we deregulate it, we can create more competition. Uh, you know, when we go to states and I talk about crossing state lines to purchase insurance, uh, you know, who's the, the biggest opponents of that are the big insurance companies that have the 84% market share in Alabama and say, oh, my God, you know, we can't possibly allow that to happen. Anyway, thank you all very much for coming. Uh, hope I've at least shed some light on this.